Well, thank you again for making the time uh, to join in, listen in. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church in Waterbury Center, Vermont. Hopeforvermont.org. Just a quick shout out to a good family friend, Terry Pike, who wrote Adjectives and Analogies. Adjectives and Analogies. You can find that on Amazon.com. I went to uh, school with Terry, and one now that's joining us has a tremendous story. He was also a professor at Bethany Bible College, now Kingswood. It's Dr. Dave Smith. Dr. Smith, welcome in. Hey, thanks, Pastor Jeff. I appreciate it. And so I first met you, uh, I was just sharing about the mentoring I was doing at the time with uh, Kingswood and some of the faculty and staff there. But then as Dr. Paul James, our uh, district superintendent, had you come and speak to a pastor group, I certainly appreciated your heart, your spirit, but just how you communicated. And I believe it was about the book of Mark. During that meeting about the first half of Mark, it was so interesting how Jesus said, don't tell people what I've done. And then the second part of Mark just shares more of the reason why. But the first question for you is, when God does a miracle now in our lives, it seems as though Christians are so quick to share when maybe God is telling us, don't share just yet, learn and mature from that experience. What are your thoughts on that? Uh Great question, Jeff. Each of the Gospels kind of presents the, uh, the miracle stories of Jesus in a unique way. So as a matter of fact, uh, John never uses the term miracle. He uses the word sign. In other words, the, the miracle is just an event, if you will, a window to be able to see through what the heart of God really looks like. Mark is very different from John. So in Mark's Gospel, in the first eight chapters, there are 20 miracles that Jesus does literally in rapid fire succession and a whole range of miracles. There are, there are uh, exorcisms, there are healings, there are uh, nature miracles, the calming of the winds and the waves. Anyway, the whole thing leads up to the question that the disciples uh, are asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Peter is always the first one to give a shout out. And he says, you are the Messiah. And so he is both right and wrong, meaning he has the right term. He just yeah. has the wrong definition of the term because it's only based on miracles. Then Jesus begins to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected and killed, and on the third day rise again. And for whatever reason, Peter thinks it is out of divine necessity that he takes Jesus aside and actually rebukes him for that. In other words, Peter's saying, I don't want a dying Messiah. I want a living Messiah that will keep on doing the miracles. And so the whole rest of the Gospel of Mark is uh, Jesus teaching them what the kingdom looks like, and miracles almost seem to fade into the background, and the mm. teaching of discipleship takes the foreground until the cross, and then after Jesus's death and resurrection, for the first time in the, the tomb, the angels say to the women that came to the tomb, go tell his disciples and Peter this, uh, he will go before you to Galilee, there you will see him. So the mm -hmm. first command in the Gospel of Mark to go and tell is not until after the resurrection. Thus, the, I think the simple answer is, if you just tell that Jesus can do miracles, he is just a wonder worker. 
The yeah. second half of the gospel says why he came. He came to die and to rise again to give us eternal life. So the point is, if you tell the miracle story, you're only telling half of the gospel story. Tell the whole story. Oh, that's so good. And uh, Dr. Smith, he serves as a professor at Indian Wesleyan, indwest.edu. That's indwest.edu, part of the uh, Wesleyan denomination, wesleyan.org, of which our local church is a part of. Now, I often share how being here in Vermont, there's only two Wesleyan denomination churches in the state. Half of our congregation, if not more, does not know what a Wesleyan is. So, <laughs> How old were you when you first realized the Wesleyan denomination was going to be part of your life? Um, I was originally converted into a smaller denomination called the Churches of Christ and Christian Union. They're predominantly in Ohio, um, in Indiana, and Michigan. And uh, pri primarily, the Churches of Christ and Christian Union, the Free Methodist Church, the Nazarenes, and the Wesleyans, and a large number of United Methodists that are actually what I would call Bible-believing United Methodists. Mm -hmm. We actually have an understanding that arises back from the Methodist revival that came out of uh, uh, 18th century England. And so if you ask, why was England one of those few countries did not, that did not go through a revolution during the 18th and 19th century, it was because of the Wesleyan movement. It was the restoration of biblical Christianity, and I would actually say a holistic Christianity that actually talks about it is not just a call for us to be saved from our sins, but we're also saved from the power of sin in our life, that we can actually be set free to be Christ-like both in our lifestyle and in our thinking and the way our heart actually beats. And that's so important to understand, and it's uh, what on earth as it is in heaven, and sometimes we just want to get to heaven and be okay, but God just has something for us uh, even now. For yourself, uh, you currently serve at Indiana Wesleyan, as I mentioned, but you were at Kingswood University, formerly uh, Bethany Bible College, where I attended. Can you just talk what led you to New Brunswick, Canada, to be yeah. part of that Bible college? Sure. Well, one of our mutual friends, and I know he was on your podcast not too long ago, was Mark Borvet. Yes. Um, in 2010, I was transitioning from being the dean of the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan. So at the time, there was about 450 students there. Um, and I, I had what I considered to be the ideal job in the Wesleyan Church. So I got to lead some of the greatest faculty members and also have all of these young students up and coming under my leadership. Um, Mark Gorvet asked me a question. He said, as he was moving as president, new president at Kingswood, he said, do you know anybody that would like to take the current curriculum at Kingswood University and turn it into something that would not just teach a student's head, but utterly transform their lives? So he, I think he asked me that question in a very uh, um, uh, um, stealthful way, is that he knew that's what my heartbeat was. Yeah. And when I got to Kingswood, I found faculty that were excited about transforming the curriculum. The curriculum had grown over the years to be larger than it needed to be, and they weren't quite sure how to kind of cut it back. And uh, I came in 
not with ideas. I came in with giving them permission to take the curriculum and turn it into something that will transform the 21st century church. Um, that's what drew me to Kingswood. And then I actually fell in love with not just Kingswood University, but New Brunswick itself. It is a glorious place. Now realize, I've spent the last 20 years in Indiana. And I love <laughs> Indiana, uh, but it's not the prettiest place on earth. Um, and New Brunswick just might be that. Yeah, New Brunswick is, uh, it was certainly nice for me and growing up in Vermont where we claim the best foliage and maple syrup ever. I had some Canadian competition while I was a student there from 93 to 97. But uh, Dr. Dave it. Smith, making some time, you can find him on Twitter at uh, Prof. Dave Smith. And uh, off there, we we're just talking about how he still uses a pen and paper. And he hand wrote <laughs> a uh, card to me as uh, I received a book that he just completed, which we're going to speak of um, in a little bit. Speaking of writing handwritten cards, especially for me, it was important during COVID. Small congregation here in New England, just people like to know that they are known and they are seen. Is handwriting cards a lost art? Why is it necessary or so important to people to just see pen to paper that someone cared enough to write them a note or a condolence or a greeting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think part of Christianity is just simply countercultural. Uh, and if you say, what is convenient these days? Well, I can text you in two seconds. I can find you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and I can get a message to you. So the question is, am I about getting content to you? Or am I about trying to let you know that I've stopped during my day uh, I have called out your name before the Lord in prayer, asked him to be with you since I can't be there, um, and to write this note in a fashion that you see that I've, I've stopped my day in many ways to make that a reality. And people um, these days, I mean, the only thing that I get these days in the mail is usually uh, a letter from an insurance company saying, you know, pretty soon you're going to be eligible for Medicare. Um, that's not somebody caring for my soul. And so I think I've actually uh, um, actually got a fountain pen that I actually use, um, and that's my prayer pen. And so I, I try every day, it's not happening every day, but every day to write a letter to somebody just to let them know, I was thinking about you, I'm praying for you, and this is the content of my prayer. And often I try to use some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul to pray over people. Hmm. That's so good. Uh, Dr. Dave Smith makes up time. We are going to speak of his new book, True North. You can see that right here. But uh, before we do, just backing up, did you grow up in a Christian home? When were you exposed to the gospel? Was it as a youngster at vacation Bible school or going to church or a summer camp? What was your upbringing as far as the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Great question. I grew up in a very, uh, I call it a loving home, a very moral home, but we really did not attend church. Um, and I can't remember a single time as a child going to church. I did go with my parents when I was in eighth grade to be confirmed in the church, which meant that I met, went and met with a pastor um, on a Monday. And then that following Sunday, I was confirmed into the church. So there was no Bible reading. There was no devotional life. The first person to actually tell me about Jesus 
was, and she ended up becoming my wife. But at the time, I was just, if you will, kind of uh, enticing her to go out on a date with me. At the time, I had some serious issues with drugs and alcohol. And uh, she knew that. And so I asked her a question. I said, how is it you get through life without drinking and drugs? Mm -hmm. I just, at the time, Jeff, I didn't know anybody that didn't do drugs. Mm -hmm. um, and she just gave me a one word answer. And that answer was Jesus. Yeah. And so I kind of followed her around for the next several weeks like a puppy dog. Um, and she told me more about her life, more about her faith. Now, this will sound like I'm making it up, but it's absolutely true. I asked her out seven times and seven times she said no. And finally she, she, she was just giving in and she goes, I'll tell you what, I'll go out with you if you go to church with me. And I'm pretty sure she thought I would just say, forget it. And I said, sure, I'd love to see what goes on at church. And that just happened to be the first time I went to church was Good Friday. Wow. And on that Good Friday um, evening, the pastor stood up and told us to turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, the death of Jesus and Mark. And when, so when it comes to reading and loving the Gospel of Mark, that's where I got hooked. Wow. Wow. Uh, Dr. David Smith makes some time, professor at uh, Indiana Wesleyan University, part of the uh, Wesleyan denomination, which our local church, hopeforvermont.org, is as well. When we think about discipleship, which True North is about and discusses, there was not a lot of discipleship from the time you met with the pastor to the point you were confirmed. Sometimes we think, or I have heard, that discipleship is just a checkbox. It's just moving from one block to another. Can you just, before we get into the book, just dispel that, that mindset? Um, I don't think the scriptures make an argument for creating converts. The scriptures make an argument mm -hmm. for creating disciples. True. And what True. we often have done and we, the, the Wesleyan Church is just as, if I can use this word, just as guilty as yeah. any other evangelical church. We actually invite people as easy as possible to accept Jesus as their Lord. And then we ask them, I mean, we hope it takes place, but we ask them if they would like to move ahead in discipleship. Yeah. Um, but the gospel we've sold them is a gospel of a very low bar which basically means if you pray this prayer, confess this truth, you are a Christian. And you can just stay as a Christian if you want to theologically. You don't have to move ahead in discipleship. Now, if, if I can say, that's pretty much evangelical theology in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. The only problem I have is that the scriptures don't seem to talk about that. Jesus in the Great Commission says, I want you to go and make disciples, make people that look and sound and act just like me. And often when we make a very low bar of entrance, people are basically adopting Jesus as their Lord as fire insurance to prevent them from going to hell than it is living like Jesus in the here and now. Yeah, at the time of this recording, uh, October 2021, I've been going through Colossians, and we just finished Colossians 2, and just going through Colossians 2, it was kind of a, a check 
for me to realize that everything that we want Christians to participate in, that's not what saves them. It's just the fact and reality of Jesus and out of our love for Jesus, we actually do things in response to his calling on our lives. But um, how did you, being saved older in life, not as a teenager, not as a youth, when did that start to formulate in your own mind that it was by God's grace that you mm. are saved because yeah. of faith. I just had a good friend that he um, left the local church that he was in to be part of a tradition that has more of a, I would say, a legalistic approach because he said, Jeff, Christianity is too easy. I need to be doing something to receive all this goodness from God. Yeah. When did you realize it was not about what you did, but simply about who Jesus is? Well, fairly, fairly early after I came to an understanding that I was broken, I was a sinner, and I needed to be forgiven to be set free from that. Um, very soon after that, the, the man that uh, um, helped me understand that just took me by the hand and said, walk with me um, and we'll just go about learning what it means to be like Jesus. And so he discipled me from day one. Uh, I thought that was that was the absolute norm because I had no mm -hmm. exposure to that until I actually got to Bible college five years later and found out I was the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he was the one that uh, um, every, every Sunday I would come and I had a notebook and I would write down questions from sermons that he preached yeah. during the week. I would ask him, I was just, I was hungry to want to know more about Jesus because I was trying to figure out why would Jesus um, care about me? I mean, I was broken and lost. And if you, if you have people in your life that uh, you know have a problem with drinking and drugs, you know they've hurt a lot of people along the way. That was my life. Hmm. And uh, so I kept asking, why would Jesus care about me? And what he was telling me is, that's the very nature of who God is. He's merciful. He's kind. He's forgiving. It's not something he does. It is who he is. Right. Right. And then when I, re oh, if that's who he is and he wants me to be like that, that's what I want. So I got hungry for books like Ephesians, Colossians, um, uh, Romans. I, I just began to, um, when I say um, ingest, I don't mean I would eat the book literally, but mm -hmm. I would just read it a lot. <laughs> Voraciously. Voraciously. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Thank the, you. The, the insatiable appetite for God's word, and it's something that you can read the same scripture over and over and over again. And it's not like another book where you know the ending, but the fact that it's alive, it just developed something within us. The name of the book that you wrote is True North, if I can get that in front. Yeah. And it's Mapping a New Life in Christ According to a Biblical True North. You said, at least in your handwritten note to me, that this was a product of COVID. When COVID all came and hit, were you automatically motivated, I'm going to use this time to write a book? Or how did that all come about? Was it something that's always been on your mind? Did you struggle at the beginning of COVID to figure out what the next steps were? How, how did this work of love just come into place? Oh, great question. Um, this kind of was birthed. It was because of COVID 
but for probably the last five years, I have been traveling around and teaching laity in local churches how to read scripture. Um, now, predominantly, now I'm, I'm hoping your church is the exception, but predominantly when somebody comes to faith, they're handed a Bible and said, here, read this and the Holy Spirit will tell you what it means. Right, right. And of course the Bible is written in three different languages. It has a multiplicity of different cultures, none of them anything like modern Western America. Sure. And so they read Jesus and say, this makes absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> right. And right. so what I realized, I was going around and teaching people how to read scripture. Hmm. And time and time again, um, people's um, minds would be opened up. They understand, they would understand the method of doing good Bible study. But then when I would leave, I would get notes back from them, emails, uh, Facebook uh, messages that just said, hey, you took all that knowledge with you. You didn't leave it behind. And all of a sudden I realized that's where I have been short in discipleship. Hmm. It is not. Now, I'm, I'm a professor. I've, I've worked at Indiana Wesleyan or at uh, um, Kingswood for the last 20 years. Um, so I, I, quote, do this professionally. Right. But the work of discipleship is not the work of institutions. The work mm -hmm. of disciple making is the local church. That's where it's to take place. So if I fly in and then fly out, I'm like the resident expert and I'm taking yeah. that knowledge with me. And I realized that, Jeff, I had been failing, that my job is not to be the disciple maker. My job is to empower other people to be disciple makers. So True North is me. I mean, if, if you read the beginning of the book, I hopefully you'll hear my voice, yeah. is that what I'm actually doing is taking somebody by the hand, like my pastor did for me, and just simply disciple them in how to read scripture. So pressing in a little bit, uh, at the beginning of the book, I love the story you tell that you and your wife are on vacation, you think you know directions, you do very well with that naturally, and then all of a sudden you realize you're looking at the wrong map. What you just shared with me was very humbling and very uh, uh, rewarding for me to hear that even though you've been a professor for 20 years, you aren't perfect and you don't have it all together at times. When that hits you that maybe you were doing things wrong, that you needed to be making disciples that made disciples, what type of trial was that for you to admit or to come to that conclusion? Well, God, you might want me to grow so I can change how I have been leading. Because oh, wow. I, just, I just find that sometimes in ministry, we kind of cover it up. It's like, well, God knows my heart. I'm doing the good deed. But when really yeah. God wants us to be at that point where we ourselves are broken so he can use us more, more effectively. Yeah, so I have to confess another failure. That would be okay. Um, not only did I uh, realize that I was usurping the role of the local church in being a disciple maker, um, I also realized as I traveled around, lots of places where I went was uh, to teach, where, where former students are. And so I would come in and I would teach what I actually taught them in classes. Hmm. And I'd have people from the local church come up to me and say, why have we not been taught this before? 
And I would turn and look at my students and I would say, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. I'd say, I'd say, Jeff, I taught you this. Why aren't you teaching it? And they would say, Dr. Dave, you didn't teach me this. You taught me how to read scripture. You did wow. not teach me how to teach people to read scripture. And there is a difference. Yeah. Often when we read scripture, we read it very intuitively. Um, and what I want them to do is teach other people how to read scripture. And so that's what this book is about. It is about me taking a backseat and saying, what I know and what I can do is totally unimportant. Yeah. What's important is for me to take somebody by the hand and ask them to become a disciple maker. Now, I try to make a, um, a, a clear distinction in the book. I think of there being two types of people. There are disciple makers and there are disciples in the making. Mm. Now, here's what I want to say about discipleship. We are all being discipled 24 seven, all the time. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Hollywood, etc. We are being discipled all of the time. And somehow we think discipleship is only when I'm reading the Bible. No, <laughs> we are being formed into the image of our culture or the image of our creator, one of those two. And so I want people to be disciple makers, which means they know how to read, they know how to interpret, and they know how to apply the scriptures. And they are taking somebody else by the hand to teach them how to do it. That what that we're trying so to do is replicate Jesus because he's the best disciple maker ever. We're trying to replicate Jesus and then we're trying to replicate him in the people behind us. Right. And that's so good. And I was just reminded I uh, was able to interview uh, someone and I said, what is a spiritual discipline you do to make sure God's grace is always in front of you? And he thought about it and he said, Jeff, it's probably not the answer you want because it's not a spiritual formation answer. But I always try to put myself in a place where non-Christians are around me to remind me of the hope I get to live out in front of them. And I just was kind of taken back as like, well, what a great reminder for some within our congregation, for students or Christians you come across. Discipleship is hard work. And I know Wesleyans yeah. are not about, uh, you know, a works religion, but we are about holiness and change yeah. when it does reach that point where it's, hey, I'm a grown adult. Why do I have to change when I've been forgiven, when I'm doing my best Talk to that individual about the importance of discipleship. In your book, you split it up to uh, the why of discipleship and then the how of discipleship. Yeah. But um, just share your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, at times, I think in the local church, we do have to make a, uh, a plea, an argument of why we need to do this. Um, not just the how of doing it, but why it is important. Mm -hmm. Because it really asks the question, why is the church in existence? Why, why is it here? Is it just to hold worship services? Is that it? We only need the church one day a week and then it can go back to being some other kind of building. Um, let me just kind of make a basic theological statement. The church is not a building. Yeah. The church is people. Now I know almost everybody would understand that, but we need to begin there. The church mm -hmm. is a people. And the question is, do those people reflect culture or do they reflect the creator? Hmm. Are they about being kingdom minded 
or are they about being transformed by the culture? And I think many of us would actually say, hmm, I think I know more about culture than I do about Christ himself. Wow. And if we just make that admonition, just make that um, admission, then we just need to spend a little bit more time figuring out who Jesus is and why he has come. He has come not just for us. He's also mm -hmm. come for the world that is out there. He wants to draw them, but he actually wants to use us to do that. Yeah. Somehow we think we have, uh, now if I use this phrase, I don't know if people in your church or people of the podcast would be familiar with this, but many churches are set up by the attractional model that says, yeah. let's make church an attractive place. People will wanna come in and then we'll turn the pastor loose on them to see whether or not he can preach a sermon will they'll be converted. <laughs> Now, can I tell you, uh, uh, is it okay to bring in some church history? Would that please, be all right? Please do, yes. Um, in the early church, so the first several centuries of the early church, I think your listeners would be shocked to know that if you were a non-baptized person, you were not allowed into a worship service. Because wow. the consideration the first couple of centuries is where people gather to share the word, to share the sacraments, and to share in prayer, God shows up. And that's a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. And so people that were not baptized were not allowed to be in the church. So you might ask the question, how did the church grow from 11 after Judas killed himself? Right. We right. have 11 disciples. How does it grow from 11 to the time in the beginning of the third century where there's between three and four million people, given that people were not allowed in a worship service and given that many of the Roman emperors actually enjoyed killing Christians. Heavy persecution, and they were not allowed into a worship service. How did it grow? It grew because be believing Christians went out into the marketplace and lived so different before their neighbors that they asked, why do you do the things that you do? Why are you so count? And being countercultural stands out and yeah. is a threat just like it is today we have a possibility of of being uh, canceled well don't forget in the first century canceled was to lose your head right right the church grew because people actually lived like jesus and here's my hope and here's my prayer if we can actually learn what jesus is like according to the word we can actually learn what his expectations are, his hopes and dreams that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live like him. When we go out into the marketplace, whether that's at work, whether that's at Walmart, whether it's in the grocery store, whether it's the way we react to government shutdowns and regulations, if we live like Jesus in the midst of a broken culture, people will notice and just like Angie witnessed to me when I asked her, wow. so how do you keep from drinking? I mean, I can't get through the day. My heart is so broken and hurt. Right. I need alcohol. And the answer that we give is, let me tell you a story about a man named Jesus. 
What a wonderful story that is, and uh, yours as well, Dr. David Smith. He's a uh, professor, New Testament professor at Indiana Wesleyan University and part of the Wesleyan denomination, which our local church is as well. Uh, a couple more questions. We'll let you uh, go, but thanks so much for being generous with your time and for taking the time to uh, put together this book, True North. And uh, we'll just make sure we post uh, ways to purchase that and to view that um, in the show notes as well. But uh, Dr. Smith, um, I've lost, well, four good friends from drug overdoses, whether mm -hmm. some say were accidental, some really were not. For you, looking back at what God saved you from, what God saved you out of, has that provided an urgency or a passion to share his love with others? When I hear about to those that are forgiven much, they love much, but it seems mm. as though some people that have grown up in the church like I have, it's, yes, Jesus, I know that my smallest sin required your sacrifice on the cross as much as someone else's big sin in some people's right. eyes. But at times, I don't necessarily live that way. For you that has been forgiven much, is that part of the reason why you have such an urgency and passion to share this message of Jesus? Um, uh, my wife and I are sharing um, a series of 40-year anniversaries this year. Mm -hmm. So it was 40 years this year that she told me about Jesus, 40 years this year that I accepted Jesus as mm -hmm. my Lord and Savior, and 40 years this year that she said yes to me in marrying me. So <laughs> it's, it's been a great celebration. It really has. And I love the word that you shared, which is a sense of urgency. And the urgency in my part now is that I'm, um, believe it or not, I'm getting older. And uh, I, I'm not gonna have the opportunity for that many more years to be able to tell the word, hmm. uh, to tell the story. And so that's another reason why this book is written is uh, um, I want it to have life after mine may be gone. Um, and I want to entrust this into local churches so that they can know that the reading, the interpreting, and the applying of the Word of God is not rocket science. It is not something that you need to go to seminary. You need to go to King's Word or Indiana Wesleyan. You, you can go. But as I said, please, uh, please, I, I hope everybody will hear this. Discipleship is actually the work of the church. Yeah. And we at times have delegated that to academic institutions and say, this is the really hard stuff that we don't know how to do. Um, and because a lot of people say, I've never been discipled. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll hand you my book and now you can read it and you've been discipled, but don't do it alone. Take somebody else by the hand and walk through the book. Um, now, can I, um, you were talking about the show notes. Um, I'm self-publishing this book. Um, the reason being, I want it to be as cost-effective as possible. Hmm. I don't want anybody in any local church saying, I can't, I, I can't afford $20, I can't afford $15, can't afford $10. Well, can I give you a website to go to? Please, you put this please in do. the show notes, yes. www.profdavesmith.com. Okay. The book is there. It's free. 
Wow. So if somebody says that's too expensive, I don't think so. <laughs> it's there. So if, if you want to print it out on paper, you can. I sent you a printed copy um, yes. that you can have, kind of have as a, as a model. Um, if churches would like to contact me, there's a way to contact me on that website. If churches want to contact me and they would like to purchase printed copies, I can arrange that with them. But I'm giving this away for free because I do not want cost getting in the way. And my job, this is my sense of urgency, is to make sure the man that discipled me, his name is uh, Joe Duval. Um, he's now a district superintendent in the, uh, uh, the Churches of Christ and Christian Union. And his son, Aaron Duval, is actually an associate pastor at Victory Road uh, Church in uh, Corning, New York. Hmm. And uh, so, but uh, that, that's Joe's son. Joe took me by the hand and discipled me. And Pastor Jeff, this is my way of paying it forward. I owe Joe my life. Uh, the only way I know how to pay it forward is to do exactly what he did in this and this time is to put it in print. What a great model. And I do think uh, for myself and there is, um, well, a high rate of Roman Catholics in this area where I am. And sometimes for me, we would almost make fun of the Catholics and say anybody can read the Bible, not just the priests, but how we've acted as a local church. It's more come and hear what the pastor has to say instead right. of open the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and reveal the deep truths of the living word of God. And so there's much to be learned just from uh, your story and your testimony. And I appreciate that so much. I do want to press and one final question that uh, it's been almost a burden for me and just really a question now during COVID. Um, I've always felt that being called into vocational ministry was a very special calling. I, I didn't feel I was better than anybody or egotistical. It was just awesome to know when I was a freshman in high school that I was called into vocational ministry. And now I talk to so many people and they run from that, or at least the parents run from their kids accepting that call to vocational ministry. And marketplace ministry is huge. As you mentioned, you don't have to go to a Bible college or a seminary for a degree to be used of God. But what are your thoughts on people replying to the call of God into vocational ministry. Do you think it's been fashionable to decline and pursue something with the guise of marketplace ministry? And maybe I am jaded or cynical, but I am just believing that God is calling more and more people into vocational ministry, especially after this time of COVID, where instead of meeting together in a large building, we need people to lead others in that that way of a priest, that way of a pastor. What say you? Um, I agree. But I do want to make sure that when we use the word call, we don't think that a call is exclusive to people in professional ministry. Yes. Amen. The word call is almost always used with every Christian, that he calls us to himself. Mm -hmm. He calls us to faith. He calls us to holiness. This is not the unusual. This is the norm. Um, when he writes to the church in Corinth, I mean, Corinth is a church that's just laden by sin. Um, and it's vitally important, I think, to realize he's calling us out of a life of sin into a life of holiness. So calling 
is the work of every Christian. We are to be involved in hearing the voice of Jesus in saying yes. Now, can, can, I, can I lay a, a bit of a seed um, that I do flesh out quite a lot in the book? Um, often, believers want to know the will of God for their life. Could, could be a call to ministry. Then again, it could be the call to the marketplace. Both of mm -hmm. those could be very real. And I ask people, and I often do this in my classes, so you can kind of, you can imagine people kind of leaning back. Um, I would ask the question, so, so, so Jeff, do you want to know the Lord's will? I don't know any Christian that would say, no, I don't want to know the <laughs> Lord's will. But they often say, I want to know the Lord's will to determine if I want to obey it or not. Hmm. So often I hear Christians telling me they're planning on disobeying God. Well, well, what they're basically yeah. saying is, uh, um, God, is it okay to get a B in being a Christian? E even a B minus, is that good enough to get me into heaven? Right. Hmm. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know whether or not God would be merciful if he knows that 25% of the time you plan on being disobedient in advance. Hmm. Here's what I ask Christians to do. If you want to know what the Lord's will is, just say yes, even before he speaks. If he truly is, no, no, let me correct that. Since he is truly the king of the universe, why in the world would we even think about saying no to him? He saved us literally from ourselves. Yes, he saved us from the evil one, but uh, I did pretty much that destruction all on my own. And for some reason, he reached down and pulled me out of the deep, miry clay and set my, reed on the, my feet on the solid rock. Why would I think about saying no? So when it comes to the call, how about this? Jeff and, uh, and the church at Hope for Vermont, here's what I ask you to do. Just say yes. And I will promise you something. Since the Lord will then know that you will treat his word with care and compassion and obedience, since he knows that, I will guarantee you, and I don't guarantee much, I will guarantee you he will speak with more clarity than you've ever heard before. But if well, you plan on trying to decide whether or not you want to be obedient to his will, yeah. he can't trust you. Right. And you can't right. even trust yourself. So I, no, I just say so... this, just say yes, and he will begin to talk in volume. Yeah, obedience. There's so much to be said about that. Uh, Dr. Dave Smith, uh, same as Twitter. It's uh, profdavesmith.com, profdavesmith.com. If you want to find how to contact uh, Dr. Smith or get a copy of the book, um, true North, true North. And, uh, we just thank you so much for making the time this Monday evening, if, uh, you're listening or watching live, but, uh, professor Smith, would you be so kind to pray for us here in Vermont, oh. pray for me and our leadership that we would lead with integrity, but most of all, as you just said, with obedience by saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Would, would you mind if I actually use part of Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians? Please do. Um, so one of the things that I think uh, people in your church might really benefit from is to practice praying biblically. 
Because sometimes we, we pray what our heart is, but the issue is God wants to transform that heart. So what if we actually practice praying scripture? So here is Paul praying from Ephesians chapter 3. When I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you will have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for us. Father, bless Pastor Jeff and his ministry at Hope for Vermont. I ask that you would empower his church with the decision that they want to become obedient to the call to become a disciple maker. That's the call to us all, Lord, and that they have somebody in mind that they would like to take by the hand and to turn or to, to, to instruct in the ways and the will of God. I pray for all um, ears that are listening to my voice here this evening or whenever they are listening, that the very spirit of God might speak. They would not hear my voice or Jeff's voice, but they would hear yours. And they would hear these beautiful words the Father spoke over Jesus. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. It is my prayer this evening that everyone would know that they, as being creatures of the Most High God, he would love to turn them into sons and daughters of God. Would you bless them with this being the reality that can come into being? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. 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 Dr. Smith, thank you so much for making the time. And uh, the name of the book is True North, and we are going to get that to our people and ask that you share that with one another as well. But Dr. Smith, we wish you all the best. And uh, congratulations, 40 years. That is certainly something to be celebrated on all occasions. So uh, mm. thank you again. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be with you this evening. And again, that's uh, ProfessorDaveSmith.com, ProfessorDaveSmith.com. And uh, my name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at HopeForVermont.org, Living Hope Wesleyan Church, meeting online 6.30 a.m. live on Sundays, but also in person at Cross Brook Middle School, 9 o'clock as well. We thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon, and uh, we wish you all of God's best.